Welcome to the fourth edition of the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Today's show is the live recording of the Creative Morning Charlotte event from Friday, April 21st, when Matt Olin spoke with Harvey Gant about the global theme of Beyond in front of more than 700 creatives at Camp North End. It's no exaggeration to say that Harvey Gant is one of the most important names in Charlotte's history. Born in Charleston, South Carolina, Harvey Gant founded Gant Huberman Architects in 1971, winning multiple awards for projects throughout the city. In 1983, Gant became the city's first African-American mayor and served two consecutive terms. He's also served on the boards of numerous cultural, civic, and business organizations. Mr. Gant's legacy will forever be preserved as the former Afro-American Cultural Center renamed itself in Gant's honor in 2009. Remember, the next Creative Morning Charlotte event will be held Friday, May 12th, at Warehouse 242 and feature WFAE's Nick Delacanal as the speaker on the global theme of serendipity. Remember to register for this free event by visiting creativemornings.com slash cities slash CLT at 9 a.m. Monday, May 8th. So, the main event... Harvey Gantt. And I did my best. I'm going to read a, a bio. But I did my best to, I mean, he's had such an accomplished career. It's hard to sort of consolidate it. But I, I do want the folks who maybe aren't so familiar with his background to know the extraordinary journey he's been on. So I'm going to read a quick bio, uh, paragraph long, and then we'll bring him up and we'll start, start having a conversation with him. So I do want to also say, Mr. Gant and I have a mutual friend in Richard McCracken. And Richard was a big part of making this all happen. And so I want to thank you, Richard, for helping to make this morning happen so much. Harvey Gant was born in Charleston in 1961. He applied to Clemson University and was admitted in January 1963 under court order, becoming the first black student to attend a previously all-white school in, Southern, uh, in South Carolina. He graduated from Clemson with honors and a Bachelor of Architecture, and then moved to Charlotte to join the firm of Odell Associates. Five years later, in 1970, he received a Master's of City Planning from MIT. And in 1971, he returned to Charlotte to co-found Gant Huberman Architects. His firm has won many, many, many awards. His service to and honors from such organizations as the American Institute of Architects, the National Organization of Minority Architects, the North Carolina Board of Architecture, and many more, really are just much, much too lengthy to, to, to list here. He's been a lecturer at many colleges and universities. He served on the visiting committee of the Graduate School of Design at Harvard. He was a chairman of the National Capital Planning Committee uh, Commission, appointed by President Bill Clinton. Oh, President Bill Clinton. Let me just have a moment here for a second. Okay, moving on. Uh, he was chairman of the National Capital Plan. I, I just said that. I'm so excited I want to say that twice. And, of course, he's been an activist in the political arena since 1974. More than three terms on the Charlotte City Council, mayor pro tem, and then became Charlotte's first African-American mayor in 1983. He's served on enough boards to put us all to shame. He's won so many honors it's inc I won't even begin to cover them. Although I will say this, dude's got a museum named after him, so I just want to put that out there. 
the Harvey B. Gantt Center for African American Arts and Culture, and he holds honorary doctorate degrees from eight universities. So I'm going to stop, and we're going to bring him up. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to speak to us on Beyond, the one, the only, Harvey Gantt, everyone. Harvey Gantt. Good morning. Get myself situated here. So I didn't know you, <clears throat> you were going to have this much preliminary, I but I will tell you that I absolutely enjoyed it. I just wondered how many of all of these people are going to be late for work. And that's they have amazing. an excuse. They have an excuse. They were having breakfast with you. Um... Thank you. Did you have any idea what you were getting into here when you no, said that? No, <laughs> not at all when Dick McCracken called. Not at all. Um, all right. Well, let's, we've, we've crafted a handful of questions that are sort of inspired by our theme of beyond. And so we'll just jump in and see where, where they take us. We want to start with this one. I'll let Steve advance the slide. You grew up in South Carolina. As I just mentioned, you were the first African-American student admitted to Clemson. Was it about your childhood that enabled you to think beyond society's boundaries and expectations? I grew up in a very wonderful family. Mom, who watched over us. My dad, who took care of us. Lots of supporters in the community from the church to the Boy Scout leader to the doctors who took care of us in our segregated neighborhood. And <clears throat> if there was a theme running through my childhood, it was always that the promise of America was going to be made real for you. And what that really meant was you are going to rise above the educational level of your parents, who went as far as eighth grade, you were going to get an education because that's the way you're going to lift yourself up. So we always had this hope that the promise, the promise, the promise, the promise was going to be made real. Even when we went to the back of the bus, because Mama said, we got to do that for right now. Or even when I passed the schoolhouse, to go to my elementary school, and that schoolhouse looked so much better than the one that I went to. There was this promise that things were going to get better. And it happened for me, it happened for my family, it happened for my neighbors when the Supreme Court said, you know what, this evil system of segregation is unconstitutional. And that was a hero day. That was a, a special day in the life of the Gant family because the promise was getting a lot closer. So I always grew up with a lot of hope that things were going to be better for us. Well, that is beautiful. And I'm curious, I mean, you're a, you're a father, um, grandfather. So how do you encourage your children to think beyond convention, you know, to pursue their own creative instincts or, or passions. Is there anything that you've imparted from, like, from your past that you're now passing on to your 
your kids? Well, first of all, all my kids have grown and gone, um, and I'm dealing with uh, their, their, their children, all nine of them. I <laughs> dealt with them last week. Uh, I can look back on it now with a smile. It's a, it was a really great experience again to do that. Um, we always imparted that same hope. They actually knew what we overcame when we grew up in segregated Charleston. They saw all of those civil rights victories. And, and we said, you know, you've got a responsibility to carry on from that. You, 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 you just can't sit back and be satisfied in your own achievement. The promise, the promise, the promise has to be made real for a whole lot of people who had not been inspired, maybe, by their life circumstances. And so it was, it was very, very important that Sonia, Erica, Angela, and Adam understood that they had a responsibility to, to do well and then to achieve and to reach out to make the promise real for others who might be less fortunate. Um, it didn't mean that they were going to have an easy time of doing it. Uh, we did not try to, 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 to tell our children that because the laws of segregation were gone or that they had seen very tangible civil rights movement that, that had done so well that the battle was over. Uh, my kids were always amazed that we sat down at lunch counters just to get a Coke and a hot dog, which seems so silly now that we look back on it, that we had to go through all of what we went through. But I said, even though those battles are over, perhaps your generation and generations beyond may have an even more difficult time a more difficult time eliminating the real vestiges of racism that's going to be tougher than laws that are written on the books across this country. Uh, it's going to be tougher uh, fighting uh, a battle that really dwells in people's hearts, position or perspective that they have uh, that we can't get at so easily. It's easy to have laws for public accommodations and riding a bus or going to school. Those, those days are past, but now when you get in school, what do you experience, and how are you going to overcome that? And how are you going to stay optimistic that the promise is going to be made real for a lot of folks? Beautiful. Um, I'm going to shift for a moment to so talk a little bit about your accomplished career as an architect. You know, here at Creative Mornings, we, our mantra is that everyone is creative. Everyone is creative, and, and we welcome people from every discipline and background to, to come here and celebrate the innate creativity that we all share. Now, as an architect, you have to look at a blank piece of paper or, and a site with nothing on it 
And, and I'm curious about your own creative process. How do you see beyond that? Tell us a little bit about your process. First of all, it's a delight to be among so many creative people, people that I've met this morning. Uh, I chose architecture when I was in the ninth grade because a teacher told me that that's what someone who had skills for drawing things ought to consider. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm, I'm just blessed that I wanted to do this for such a long, long time. Now, back to your question. Um, I design, my firm designed buildings for people. So we don't start off by looking at the site. We start off by looking at the client. And we look at what it is they need, what it is they tell us they want, whether it's a work environment, a play environment, or whatever. Uh, we start off with the client. And then we try to match what their needs are to the physical location that they're going to go on. And that's where the, the excitement comes in. Um, you're now thinking about um, uh, the programmatic requirements after talking and meeting with these people for some time. And you're trying to then say there's a site that has clear dimensions to it. How do you fit those programmatic requirements and to form a building? So the creative process for me and many of the architects who work for me and some are in the audience this morning uh, is a continual thing. Once you get locked in on that, I could be uh, working in my backyard and all of a sudden it hits me that this church needs a certain look, a certain feel, or this couple needs, uh, they love entertaining and, 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 and they like to cook. So that kitchen ought to be a special kind of place. These kinds of inspirations come and you write it down as quick as you can or you lock it into your head and then you get in there and you create. And that's what I loved about architecture. I love this creative thing that even after I've had a great weekend playing golf or tennis, I couldn't wait to get into the office to really work with that client and that piece of paper to make it happen. Do you, do you have a favorite project that you've done to date? No. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. That, <laughs> That, that's, lo that's loaded because I want my clients to understand that all of, all of our projects, their project particularly, is very important to me. <laughs> so, but I will tell you this. The greatest satisfaction for me is when I visit the project after it's been designed and I can walk into that space and just look around to see if what they told me way back in the beginning is how they're actually using the space. And that's, that's, that's just a wonderful feeling. When I go to Friendship Baptist Church on a Sunday morning, I can sit there and watch the sun making its way through the skylights and through the stained glass windows and wonder, did we capture, did we capture that feeling of sacredness that a church ought to have? And, and, and that's the satisfaction. So 
that, for that client, I know they're enjoying it, so that's my favorite project. Yeah, yeah. But for another client, it may be something else altogether. Love it. Um, I would love to hear, you know, as you look back on your career, and you mentioned themes in your childhood and in the lives of your children. When you look back at your body of work, both as an architect and perhaps even as a p politician, do you see any themes that have emerged for you, whether that was intentional or organically? You know, I think this happens to authors and musicians and filmmakers and, and artists of all kinds, where maybe at a certain point in their life they look back and they start to see a theme emerge. Um, I don't know if that's something that's ever occurred to you or not, but it was, a, it was something that I was thinking about. Uh, I have often said that um, I, I, I was always interested in exceeding the expectations of my clients. If they came in with that idea and we put together that building, I always wanted my buildings to exceed what they had in mind, to be even better to reach, to reach, um, that, 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 was, that was most important to me. The other piece is architecture is about assembling a lot of things when you start to build the building. You're putting together hundreds of thousands of pieces of material to create this harmonious whole, this thing that delights, makes people feel good if they're coming to work or if they're going home spending a weekend, whatever. It's putting together a lot of things and making them harmonious. I've also thought that way about my political life. Um, I saw a relationship between what I did for my full-time job and what I did as a contribution to the community. This, this need to take all of the diversity out there and all of the opinions out there, and as a mayor, try to assemble and hear everybody and then see if we can craft a creative solution. So I could link what I did in the forums of government to what I did on the drafting board every day, and that made, that, that's the theme of my work. Yeah, a, a, a real connection. But almost like your life as an architect and as a creative person served you in that other role in a way that maybe being a career politician um, perhaps wouldn't have. You know, some, some of those skills that you brought to that role. I, I, I actually thought that was our advantage. In fact, I spent a lot of time in my career going around the country telling architects that they needed to pay more attention to not only just the buildings they designed, but the communities that they were putting those buildings in. And some of us needed to get into the forums of government itself because we could see things and we could look down the road and particularly in city government where we're talking about assembling things. City council is all about hardware and umbilical cords of water and sewer line that give life to communities. Uh, and we could see that sometimes better than some of our colleagues on council or in those forums. And, and we should use our skills more to affect what the community looks like uh, overall. I, it sounds like a charge for more creative beings to enter public service. I yes, love this that's idea. It. That's exactly right. right. The power that's of exactly creative right. thinking. That's exactly right.
All right, now this next question is inspired by, very much inspired by our theme of beyond. You ready? Have you ever gone beyond the point of return with something in your life? Gone beyond the point of return. It's a political thing, if you don't mind. I was playing tennis one day in my backyard with Mel Watt, who many of you know is a longtime congressperson from this area. And we kept chatting about the fact that there was a certain senator that was not going to get a challenge. Uh, and uh, I said to Mel, do we have the guts to, to get into this thing? To get into this Senate race? This was 1990, and I recognize that most of you, many of you aren't even born. <clears throat> but do we have the guts to get into this? And we left the tennis court <clears throat> at the end of the third set. And, 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 and I felt, you know, let's not just talk about it. Let's do as your daughter did. Let's dive deep. Let's get into it. The reason why it was a point of, of going deeper was, was, was it was important, even if we didn't win, that a viewpoint, a viewpoint be expressed that reflected a lot of North Carolina. So we dove deep, went beyond, and had no idea where we would raise the money that's needed in politics, or whether or not we had the support beyond the borders of the city of Charlotte. And I was a losing candidate in my third term for mayor of Charlotte. A lot of people don't remember that. So what gives you the nerve to believe that you could dive deep or go beyond into a race like that with all these liabilities? You know, you're from Charlotte, which is not highly respected at that time in the rest of the state, and you, uh, you, are, uh, you didn't go to the UNC. Uh, uh, you went to Clemson. You're, you're from South Carolina, um, and you're black. But we went beyond anyway. And even though we lost it, it was worth having that conversation with the people of North Carolina. Uh, one way Love it. Mr. Gant, are, are there any goals you haven't yet achieved? Oh, my goodness. If I haven't, I'm, I'm a little bit too old now to really be setting too many new ones. I love but, yeah, all but, that. but yes, yes, yes. I'm, there are some goals. And the goals have more to do with this community reaching and going beyond. And, and I work now very quietly. I don't. I think I need to be off the stage. I shouldn't even be on this one. Uh, but, but to encourage young people, 
I was in my 30s when I got on city council to encourage young people, it's their time now. It is their time to, to get out there to do some things. We haven't solved all the problems. This is a great city we're living in. It can be a wonderful laboratory on issues of diversity, on educating poor kids, on health care, um, just a number of things. But you are going to have to get involved. So my goal is to see as many young folks, which is one reason I came this morning, is that I want to see younger people get involved. I want to see us move past the politics of fear, which is driving so much of what's happening in Charlotte, in North Carolina, and across this country. I want to see everybody have an opportunity, which is why I'm a little bit disgusted with the HB2 resolution. I, 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 um, I know there are things we have to do in politics for compromise, but I know that we are better than that. We are actually better than that. And, and I'm, I think we got to fight. Amen. I, I have so many questions I want to ask Mr. Gant, but I am going to, in the interest of time, I'm going to open it up to the audience. And if y'all don't come up with any questions, I got plenty more, trust me. So let's open up to the audience. Do we have a third mic that we can run around to folks who raise their hand with any questions for Mr. Gant? Questions? I see one in the back row. Okay. I guess I would wonder, when it came to your experience with integration, and then you talk about your children and your grandchildren, the responsibility of the next generation, sometimes that last 10% is the hardest, uh, whether it's a, any kind of change. You know, what are the elements of that last 10% that you think are are really the, the nuts and bolts for that next generation to grab a hold of to make progress? What are the elements of the last 10% of the people who are not recognizing the promise that's out there? That's the way I'm gonna interpret your question. That's the tough nut to crack. Um, um, I think we have to be much more focused in our public policy but it extends beyond that. It extends all the way down to the neighborhood um, and the kind of conversation we are willing to engage in with our neighbors, the kind of willingness for us to go crazy about educating poor children in this community, about finding a way to help people who have stumbled because of racism and other reasons to not be useful to the 21st century economy. It also has to do with trying to remove as much fear that we all have to be very protective of wherever it is we've gotten ourselves to and to open up. Because the last 10% is, in fact, the issue. It is, how do we get the folks at the very bottom of the ladder who we are populating our prisons with, who we are spending huge amounts of dollars 
in a negative kind of way, how do we be, how are we willing to, to expend our tax dollars and maybe even more tax dollars to provide the necessary facilities for better health care, for better public education, for better early childhood education? We, 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 we need to go crazy about focusing on those issues and to remove some of the fear to say, you know, it is possible to get that last 10% down to 1% or less than half of 1%. I'm of a certain age, so I remember some of what you're speaking of. Well, all of it, really. But there are people here, I think, that do not know about when you were talking about that challenge going to that point of not returning, who don't know about Jesse Helms and what that represented. Would you say a little bit more about that? Because I think it speaks to the courage and the um, inspiration and determination and going beyond that it will take today to change some things. I was trying to be very polite and not talk about <laughs> I, I blame Patrice. <laughs> because I think this is a very diverse audience and people may have more agreement with uh, Senator Helms' positions back then I didn't, and there was a good core group of North Carolinians, something like 48% that supported us in that election and subsequent election. Jesse Helms was a conservative who I viewed as someone who was trying to deny the promise of America to a whole lot of people. And what is that promise? You probably want to ask me that, and that, that is that if I was born in this country, I had the right to pursue happiness under the laws that guided this country, to pursue happiness, and for my family to do what I needed to do, and to see the general welfare of the country made better when it lifted all of its citizens. That's the promise, the promise that allowed me for my own well-being, to pursue whatever I wanted to be, even when architecture was not a popular vocation for a young kid growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, back in the 50s. Helms represented a totally different viewpoint, and I felt it important that he not be unchallenged so that people would not forget that there were, in fact, many of us who didn't agree with this position. Good morning, Mr. Mr. Gant. Um, I heard you uh, at the end of last year uh, on uh, Charlotte Talks with uh, Hugh McCall. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned um, as the events in September unfolded, uh, you looked out on the streets, you didn't recognize a lot of the faces, a lot of the voices that were out there. And coincidentally, I, um, a lot of the young people, um, young minds and, and, and ideas, um, have a certain disconnect with past generations. And as you look back on Charlotte, that's kind of a theme that the present is kind of disconnected from the past. So how do we connect those voices so that 
throughout time, those new leaders and those new ideas aren't starting from square one. Um, and they're not just points on a map, but we kind of exist in a continuum of leadership. Uh, thank, thank you for that question. Um, I, I'm 74 years old. And as I said earlier, I've been involved in Charlotte's history for well over 40 some odd years. What I said still holds true today. Since that time, I've gotten to know some of the folks who've been involved in that. I said, I don't recognize that leadership that I saw in the middle of the conflagration that occurred in September. That's not an indictment of the people that I saw as much as it is a disconnect uh, between my generation and the generation of people who had other issues to be resolved. I thought I understood what those concerns are. I thought I understood the 10 to 15% that were not really doing what they needed to do. But I didn't understand all of the perspective. And so I'm open, always open, to getting to know who those leaders are. And I have learned who some of them are. I think there is a need for even more connectivity because if there is one element of the younger folks who are doing what they're doing, and I applaud that, it is that they need to engage more with folks who did something different at an earlier time so that they get more of a perspective of how we felt about issues and maybe even how we feel about issues today. So there's an opportunity there, in my opinion, for more connection, not just me, but lots of other folks who led back in those periods uh, in a different day and time. All right, so along those same lines, uh, you recommended younger folks getting involved in politics and local government. So what are some suggestions that you have for folks my age who are just starting their career who also would like to be involved in local politics and making a difference in the city? I say get involved, that sounds a little bit trite, it, it, but, but it does. I mean, it actually starts with your neighborhood or your workplace or wherever you are, are involved with a community of people. Pay attention, attend the forums of government, city council, school board, county commission, state legislature. You've got to be You've got to understand the playground that you're operating in or the environment you're operating in. And you have to understand the issues. I don't think you get out there simply because I said get involved. I think you have to start to develop a group of people who are paying attention, who are looking at issues, and who have a viewpoint that needs to be expressed. And I often say, man, I wish I had social media back in the 70s. Because one of the things that I'm most impressed with with the young folks, it's the young man's question, was how quickly you can draw a crowd. I mean, I told Matt this morning, I didn't think you could get this many people together in such a short period of time. Then I found out how you do that, and you do that very well. So there are lots of ways to get involved, and you have to just start where you are. We're going to end with this question, because we are after 10. Um, so here's what we're going to end on. 
Do you have a final charge for us? What do you, in the spirit of beyond, what do you want us to go out from here and do? If you were to leave us with those words. Stay engaged if you already are. This is, this is a great group you've got here, and I hope you uh, continue to, to, to keep this going. Stay engaged. Don't become so focused on what your specific career is that you forget that there's a community you live in. We live in a great city, but it's actually going to get to become an even greater city, not by how many buildings we build or how much money people make in their businesses, but how well we reach out and engage others and how much we care about issues of diversity and poverty and people who still can't see the promise because there's so many obstacles in their way. And you know what? I'm counting on you. My kids hear this all the time. You know, when they talk about things going bad or things not, I said, I'm counting on you. You know, we've done all we can do in an activist way. We're going to now just give advice, like I'm giving it to you this morning, just giving advice. But the engines, the, the, the people that make this community go and will make this community go in the next 30 or 40 years are sitting right in front of me. You got to do something. And if you end a day not doing anything except caring about yourself, that's one more day lost to making this a great community. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Harvey Gant, please join me in thanking him. Thanks for listening to the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Let us know what you think by tweeting us at CM underscore CLT. Remember to mark your calendars for Friday, May 12th at 830 in the morning at Warehouse 242, 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard, where WFAE's Nick Delacanal will speak on the global theme of serendipity. For more from Charlotte is Creative, check out creativemornings.com slash cities slash CLT.